course, is called that because Jesus is giving a teaching from the Mount of Olives. And that's, that's the name, Olivet Discourse. The subject of this is uh, uh, Jesus answering the questions that the disciples asked him. They asked him, uh, when would these things be concerning the tearing down of the temple? What, would the, what was the sign of his coming and the end of the age? We have moved through his progression of teaching, and tonight we're going to talk about the second coming of Christ. Just by way before we begin, let me say this about the second coming of, the, of Christ. It is not the same thing as the rapture. There are differences. The rapture, remember, happens before the tribulation period. And only the church is involved. It's specific to the church. It's when God calls His church or calls us out. He raptures us out. And, and we go to be with Him. He does not come to the earth. We meet Him in the air. The second coming is at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And it is when Christ comes back to the earth. He literally sets His feet up on the Mount of Olives. So <clears throat> those are some contrasts. And it does has nothing to do with the church. This passage is not concerning the church other than our coming back with the Lord. We will be with Him. When we go up in the rapture, the seven-year tribulation period begins here on the earth. What happens up there while we're there? Of course, we will have uh, the great wedding feast. We'll have that feast. Uh, we will also, I, in my thought, we will be judged for our works, for a reward or a loss of reward. Our salvation is not in question. Your salvation was uh, judged on the cross of Calvary. If you believe in Jesus Christ, the blood's been applied to your life. So salvation's not in question. And so this is what's happened. On earth, it will, the first three and one half years will be terrible. The last three and one half years will be even more terrible. If you could, it would be most terrible. The Bible says it's like a time that has never been, nor will ever be. So, let's go, please, to verse 29 of Matthew chapter 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, this is marking a point in time. Words matter. Words matter. Words matter in the Bible. And when he says immediately after the tribulation of those days, he's talking about the end of that seven-year tribulation period. Notice what happens. There will be some cosmic phenomenon that happens. The sun will be darkened. The sun will be darkened. I remember one time when I was in the Army National Guard, we were at Grayling, Michigan. And we were there, and we were on our annual training and some friends and I, we, we, got a, we rented a boat, a rowboat, and we rowed across this lake. And it was a beautiful day, and we got over there, we swam, we fished, we uh, just had a great time. And we were all tired, and we were just laying around in the boat, just floating in the boat, and we were kind of napping. And all of a sudden, I, I'm asleep, but it feels like someone is standing over top of me. Have you ever felt that when you're asleep? And I opened my eyes, and it was pitch black. I'm in a a metal John boat 
out in the middle of the water. It's pitch black. It's in the middle of the day, and there's a storm coming. And that song, Row, Row, Row Your Boat? Yes, indeedy. We were rowing, we were blowing, we were kicking, we were trying to get off that lake. And I, I remember that distinctively. It's one of the very few times I've ever been in the middle of the day, in the middle of the afternoon, and it was pitch black, and it was eerie. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. We've had the uh, great luxury of this last few days of looking at a full moon and how it illuminates uh, the darkness. The moon will be not giving its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Now there are some friends of mine who uh, have a little different opinion about the end times. And they take this passage because uh, sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, in the Old Testament, when they were speaking of God's judgment, some of these cosmic signs were visible when it was speaking of God's judgment. So they spiritualize this verse and they, they say that, well, that's happened in the Old Testament. That doesn't mean that Christ is coming back. Well, I remind you, continue to read what the Bible says. Most of the time we get into trouble because we don't read the Bible for ourselves. We listen to someone else. Now, I want everybody to look at me real closely and pay attention. My teaching and preaching does not substitute your study of the Scripture. You should read the Bible and check me out and make sure what I'm telling you is true. If any man says, you need to blindly follow me, you need to run away as fast as you can. Even the Apostle Paul said, be a follower of me as I follow Christ. So what does the Bible say? Let's continue. Look at verse 30. I love this. Then... The sign. What was the question that Jesus asked that was asked of Jesus in the beginning? What will the sign of your coming be? Jesus is telling them, This is the sign. What is the sign? Of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus said, you want to know the sign of my coming? Here is the sign. My coming. When you see me, I'm coming. Now, why is that so profound? I mean, it's the Bible. I'll tell you why. Because the devil is good at getting us to do things. He, he is good at getting us to seek signs rather than seeking the Savior. He's good at getting us to sing songs about the Savior rather than singing songs to the Savior. Do you see where I'm going with this? The devil is very cunning and subtle, and he works to move us just a little bit off. And he does so because he wants to destroy us. These people want to know about all the signs and everything. If you're looking for the Savior, you don't need a sign. And here is the sign. You'll see him. Every eye will see him. It will be a visible appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how in the world could all of the world at one time see him in the air? That's the magnificence of my Savior. 
What I'm afraid of in our Baptist churches is that we have lost sight of the power of our God. I'm working on a message for after I finish Peter. The Lord was revealing this to me. Jesus could not do many miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. I started thinking about that. When's the last time a Baptist church has seen a miracle? Could it be because of our unbelief? I'll I'll preach that later. Didn't mean to get off on that. But what I want you to see is, rather than seeking Christ, we seek all these other things. Well, we got to have the best choir. we got to have the best this. We have to be up to date technologically. All that. Gobbledygook. You don't need any of that. We need Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the God of all glory. And He will come on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And every eye is going to see Him. So don't go chasing rainbows and thunderstorms and all these illnesses and all this. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Verse 31. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, it's interesting because many people believe that what he's talking about is when he's going to gather the elect, it's all the people that's on the earth at that time. But John Wolverd, who is a scholar who's in heaven, and many others make note that this gathering together is going to be a gathering together of Old Testament saints, the church, the, uh, those who are faithful to the end there in the tribulation period, those who were uh, martyred in the tribulation period. He's going to gather them all together. Why? Because we're coming with Him. We're going to come with Him. How do I know that? In a moment, we'll go back to Revelation chapter 19, and I'll show you, as John tells us, the exact same thing Jesus was telling us about the second coming of Christ. As a matter of fact, Daniel in Daniel chapter 7 tells us about the same thing about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming. So he's going to gather together his elect all from all times together. Now Jesus pauses and he gives a parable. He's a master teacher. He says in verse 32, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Some people were talking about, some people believe that this fig tree is Israel and that they'll want to have a revival. And that's not what he's saying. It's clear what he's saying. What he is saying is this, you can look at a fig tree and you know by its leaves and their appearance that summer is near. And just as you can see that and know that nearness of summer, all these things that he's told you, showing you, it is near, the time is near. Verse 
It's at the doors. Verse 34, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. This has been the debate uh, forever with those who are Reformed. They believe the generation that, he, that were this generation, he's talking about those disciples then, and it happened 40 years later, 70 AD, etc., when Jerusalem was destroyed. But none of these other things have happened. So I don't believe that. I don't believe it. I believe what he is saying is the generation that sees the tribulation period and sees all these things unfolding, they are the generation that, that it will not pass until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The generation that sees Jesus. The generation that's here, that sees these signs, that sees all this, the gathering, all the Lord coming, they will not pass away. The end of the earth is not happening. They're going to see this. Verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. This is what Jesus is saying. The surety of what Jesus is telling us. It's going to happen. As sure as he is alive, as sure as he is telling them that, these things are going to happen. The tribulation period is going to happen. The second coming of Christ is going to happen. And every eye is going to see him. Every eye that's alive on the earth is going to see him coming in great glory and power. Now, there will be some who will, even in this time, even in that time, and in our day, and in the day that immediately precedes this coming back, they will be predicting when He will come. But the Bible says, no one knows the hour nor the day. Is that what it says? But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Specifically, only. I, only, i.e., as in Jesus himself doesn't know. Well, you say he knows everything. Well, he's telling us that only the Father knows. In the later text, the later manuscripts adds, nor the Son. It's reserved for the Father. And here's the point. The point is this. People miss Jesus because they look for signs. And Jesus knows that people will want to live the way they want to live and know that day. If they knew that day they could live the way they wanted to live, it wouldn't take faith. It wouldn't take faith. If you knew the day that he was coming, it wouldn't take faith. You, would, you could live however you want and the day before, you could confess him. But the Bible says, but without faith it's impossible to please God. You know what Jesus told Thomas? Thomas, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are they who believe and have not seen. That's us. That's us. And so the, the point of this teaching is this. It's about the second coming of Christ. And rather than keeping our eyes on signs, and rather than trying to predict when He's coming... Just keep your eyes on Jesus. 
and especially for us, those of us in this dispensation of grace, we should not be all fret and worried about the end of the world. Our biggest concern in this life is our friends and loved ones that do not know Jesus Christ. That's our biggest concern. Everything else is going to be taken care of. When the trumpet calls and the, the uh, trump of God sounds and we are out of here, shout of, shout of the archangel, we are out of here in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And guess what? These bodies that are falling apart, they're going to be made new in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. You know, someone <coughs> tried to define what twinkling of an eye is. They defined how quickly you blink. The normal eye blinks. and It's like a millisecond. And they said a twinkle is even greater speed than that. Your body, you're going to have a new body. You can say amen. It's okay. But here's the point. In all of this, people discount the second coming of Christ. They want to see signs. They, they want to, to, to know what generation it is that's going to see this. What, what does it matter? And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is standing before these people and he's telling them, I am the sign. I'm right here and you don't see me. You don't see me. Would you go with me to Revelation chapter 19? I'd like for you to go there just a moment. I want to show you. I want to explain a little bit, if I can, about the, the, the description of the second coming of Christ. I, I, we touched on it a little bit, but I thought it might do us well to go to Revelation 19 and just get a little description of the second coming of Christ. Let's go down to verse 11. Revelation 19 and verse 11. This is John speaking. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. There's only one person in the Bible that's ever been called the Word, and that was Jesus. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. This is why I say the gathering of the elect, all the armies of heaven, everyone, Old Testament, everybody there is going with him. You say, I can't ride a horse. Don't worry, he's got you. He's got you. Uh, my dad and Leslie used to have mules. And they were, I'll be honest with you, they were much more comfortable than them quarter horses. Quarter horses beat you to death. But you say, I can't ride. Don't worry, he's got it. You think he's going to bring you into eternity and let you hang out halfway out of the saddle, dragged out of heaven? No. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, pure. Pure. My, my robe won't have to be him. Can I have an hallelujah? Amen. It'll fit perfectly. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it 
He should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You'll be with him, but you won't fight. Out of his mouth, he'll speak it, and it's over. They're doomed. They're gone. They're dead. And incidentally, the Word of God talks about the Word of God being the sword of the Spirit. The sword is His Word. When He speaks it, it happens. He is going to strike the nations. Hamas, Hezbollah, Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Russia, China, Iran, all these end-time players, gone. Like that. Gone. Verse 16, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is what bothers me about our, our, casual, our casual attitude towards Christ. This picture that is revealed in here is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. There's a way you approach the King of England. And people respect that. There's a way you approach the President of the United States. And people respect that. But when we come to our churches, many people don't respect God. They're bored. They're disengaged. They're just whatever. I'm talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Notice verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, S-U-N, that's the sun, and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. What is he going to feed the birds? He's going to feed the birds with the nations that he strikes. That you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. God's going to use the vultures to clean up the earth. But rest assured, just because the birds eat their flesh doesn't mean their soul's not in hell. Because it is. Verse 19, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Deceived by Satan, the beast, the false prophet, the kings of the earth, all these armies gathered together, they think they are going to defeat Jesus. Boy, they are wrong. Then the beast was captured... And with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceedeth from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now interestingly, the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. 
verse 20, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, Satan, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal on him, so he should not deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released a little while. The beast and the false prophet go directly to the, to the uh, lake of fire. Satan is bound for a thousand years. At the end of a thousand years, he's loosed for a season. We'll talk about that at a later time. John, in his vision, the second coming of Christ, sees the same thing Jesus is talking about. I want to go one more place, one more place. Daniel, I'm working backwards on purpose. Daniel chapter 7. Can you go there with me? And Bryce is probably going to kill me because I'm all over the place. And he's already found it. Verse 13. Daniel's vision. I was watching in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. <clears throat> his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. When he comes and he wipes it out, he sets up his literal kingdom on this earth for 1,000 years. And you and I will enter into that kingdom with him. Now, I say this to you. You don't have to worry about end times. As sure as I'm standing here, Jesus has got it. He's going to take care of us. We will not see the tribulation period. We'll be out of here. And we have an opportunity in this time that we be grounded in truth and we're not fretting and we're not acting a fool. And we, we, it's, all right. it's, it's very important to warn people but guys, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Turn your TV off. Enjoy your family. Have, have, enjoy the life that God has given us. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. And nothing's going to change that. And the beautiful thing about this is we're going to have the best seat in the house when it comes to the second coming of Christ. You know why? Because we'll be right with Him. And we'll gallop in with Him. He's on that white horse. If you know anything about Greek culture, the white horse is a symbol of victory. Whenever a, a Greek warrior would conquer and win a big battle, they would bring him in, put him on a white horse, and parade him around as the victor, the supreme victor. He's coming on a white horse because he is the supreme victor. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. Now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, you need to worry. But you can get that taken care of tonight. By faith, you can turn from your self-attempts of being good. You'll never be good enough to get to heaven. You'll never do enough good things. You'll, you'll never help enough people. You'll never give enough money. You'll never be able to do one thing to get to heaven. 
you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, that means that I believe that He is the Son of God, that He came to this earth to die on the cross for my sins. He died on that cross, He was buried, and He arose from the grave. And I believe He did that for me because of my sin, because I deserve to die. I'm stopping trying all of my own attempts to get to heaven. I'm simply believing in what He has done on the cross of Calvary to get to heaven. That's it. That's it. You don't have to pay penance. You don't have to speak in tongues. You don't have to be baptized. You must believe. To be born again, you must believe. And so if you're here or you're watching this and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can tonight. You can tonight. You're never more than a prayer away. Now, saying the words is not what saves you. It's that you believe that Jesus died for you, He was buried for you, and He arose, and that He will take you to heaven because you're trusting in Him. That's it. That's it. And if you are saved, praise God. Now let's live like it. Let's live like we're saved. Let's quit looking for signs and quit bemoaning all that's going on. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus, and let's enjoy the journey. Who's, who needs some joy in their life? Amen. I, I, Caleb, all weekend, they were playing Christmas songs. I was like, hallelujah. And they said, oh, we're going back to the other songs on Monday. I'm like, no, 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 no. You Just come on. And so I have to wait till the, the, the end again, uh, the next weekend, so they'll play Christmas songs all the time. Christmas songs and eggnog, I'm telling you, let's do it, right? Let's get jolly and let's have a good time. We're on the winning side, church. And let's invite others to join us. Come on now. Get on the winning side with us. And we don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Isn't it great that you can lay down your head and know tonight that if you were to die, you go to heaven. Everything's going to be okay. That is a great, great thought. Well, have a blessed evening. And Lord's will, we'll see you Sunday morning. Sunday night, we're going to have our Christmas dinner, 5 o'clock in the CE building. And uh, just come and enjoy and relax, and let's be, we, we need to fellowship with each other. We're going to have a great relaxing. There'll be a brief word. We always have to open the Bible when we're together. But it'll be a time that we can enjoy one another's company. All right? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask Him to dismiss us, and thank you again.